Hello and welcome to the Tony Daily, Tell Me on a Sunday, with me, Tony Kent. It is the podcast that invites you to come find yourself so you can listen to this and go, thank God for that. It is not just me. And I can speak to you and say, no, it is not just you. It is also me. So for those of you that are paying attention, yes, I skipped a week. It is difficult to find peace and quiet. I have discovered to record a long form episode on your own. Plus, um, you have to be a bit more thoughtful, a bit more organised. But this week, I'm a bit more thoughtful, a bit more organised. I've got the house to myself for a bit. And I thought, right, I'm going to do this episode. And I had such a and and such an overwhelmingly positive response to the episode on alcohol if you haven't listened to it go back and listen to the episode on alcohol loads of conversation on linkedin instagram facebook loved comment from one of my old school friends stacy hi stacy saying none of us ever did that it's all lies yeah all lies all lies nobody got drunk at the age of 14 um And um, there were some really heartfelt conversations as well, which was um, quite, I mean, I felt quite, maybe honoured is not the right word, but the fact that people would open up and talk about their sobriety um, and things like the fact that when you don't drink in a culture where drinking just is what you do at the weekend or at a party, um, it can hold up a mirror to some people and make them feel slightly uncomfortable <laughs> as they question their own alcohol consumption and realize that, yes, sometimes maybe they drink too much because they're not happy in their soul. Um, now, let me tell you, I've done that on more than one occasion. And as you will know, if you listen to that episode, I have questioned my relationship with alcohol um, frequently, um, more so as I have got into my 40s and as my children have approached the age at which I first started drinking and god the relief the relief that they are not following my path and that's for all sorts of reasons um, because you know they are uh, having a very different upbringing to one that I had and I am recording this (laughs) just so you know what a wanker I am I'm recording this at my kitchen island at my kitchen island and I mention this because something I talk about a lot and I will do a special episode on it is social mobility if you were to look at the indicators of what makes someone socially mobile in terms of having a better level of income uh, better financial stability better social and cultural capital than their parents generation had I tick, 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 tick those boxes. And when I have met people who don't know my background, they will assume, and that's fair enough, that I have always had a comfortable life. But I haven't. And this is part of why I record this podcast, because I do want to talk really frankly and openly about how you never really know what's going on beneath the surface you never really know what someone's background is and it shouldn't surprise you if somebody reveals to you that 
they grew up in a single parent family, they grew up on a council estate, they had a period of their life where they're involved in drugs, they have an alcohol problem, because you never can tell, even if they have got a kitchen island. Um, so this week's episode, let's get to the point because we're already ooh, four minutes in. This week's episode, we are going to talk about drugs. And uh, let me preface this. I'm just going to have a sip of coffee, which if you've got kids that are at hmm, secondary school, I think they start talking about it, maybe late primary school, but they start talking about drugs. Yeah, it must be like year five, six. And they begin with caffeine is a drug. So I'm taking drugs while I record this. But let me preface this episode was a sentence I started and did not finish by saying, I do not condone the use of drugs. I don't recommend that you take drugs. However, I understand why people do. I understand the circumstances that can lead to problems with um, substance misuse, substance abuse, and I have experience of it. Um, within my own life and my wider uh, circle of friends and family. So let's start at the beginning. And I was prompted to record this episode because a podcast that you will hear me talk about a lot is the Blind Boy podcast, which is presented by an Irish satirist, comedian, uh, podcaster, Twitch streamer, creative advocate for mental health interventions, really just like bloody clever, interesting, funny, fascinating man. And he talked in his latest episode, which is about the festival of Imbolc um, on the one hand and um, solvent abuse on the other, St. Bridget. He talks about St. Bridget. Um, really good. Go and listen to it if you're interested. And he talks about solvent abuse. So it made me think, yes. I understand solvent abuse and it has it's topical. It has been on the news because solvent misuse or solvent abuse can kill instantly. So let's I'm going to try and give you and something you will get in a minute is I'll bring together some episodes where I talk about my experiences with drugs. There's a few, so you'll get them after my preamble. And when they uh, come up, you'll hear a little ding in between them to signify that one episode has ended and another is beginning. I'm probably talking like I'm on crack right now. However, let's give this some structure, shall we? So blind boys reference the solvent abuse misuse led me to think about where did my, um, when and where and how did drugs enter my life? So primary school, no, 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 no sign of drugs there, please and thank you. Um, nicotine and alcohol at home with my parents. So, you know, drinking and smoking, um, but legal drugs, fine. Yes, they're present in my life when I'm a child. I'm not taking them. Um but then when I get to secondary school, so year seven, definitely not. Year eight, um, let's exclude cigarettes and alcohol. But I was offered cigarettes when I was in year eight. But around the time that my dad 
was diagnosed with terminal cancer. So that was when I was four, 13, 14, no, 14. Um, I noticed like drugs really are present. So I am working as a cleaner, but not in a cocktail bar. So I'm working as a cleaner in offices. And this is where I have solvent memories because in the offices there were stationary cupboards and in the stationary cupboards were all sorts of goodies like post-it notes, highlighters, <laughs> pens, all the sorts of things that, you know, teenagers like to have um, and wish to possess. But uh, we didn't, hmm, did we still, I don't think we did really. We didn't take much from the stationary cupboards. Uh, no, we did. <laughs> We did. They accused us of nicking the biscuits. We weren't nicking the biscuits. What we were using, maybe not taking home, was Tipex thinner. So I can tell you that certainly at the age of 14, in my peer group, there were lots of people who were sniffing Tipex thinner. Don't do it. I don't advocate it. I'm explaining to you what happened? <laughs> okay. Just say no. They can, And then you discover as an adult, you see the warnings on them. They say solvent abuse can kill instantly. And you go, yeah, I'm going to sniff this and see what happens. So I'll tell you what happened for me is that my feet went really cold and my head felt very big and I felt very sick. And that was very short lived. There were also, oh, for Christ's sake, people were um, inhaling lighter fuel that will kill you instantly. Um, mucking about with, I don't know people mucking about with deodorant cans, but again, that will kill you instantly. Um, and just a lot of that going on. So I suppose that is the entry point where these are seemingly innocuous substances that people have access to. And then someone says, oh my God, if you sniff this, you will get high. Now on the Blind Boy podcast, he talks about them sniffing petrol for God's sake. Don't do that. Um, so there was definitely a foray into sniffing solvents. And if I think about it, because back in the day, back in the days, so this would have been late 80s, late 80s, very early 90s. But they used to talk about punks sniffing glue um so it's you know we definitely weren't punks but there was tons of that going on and then at some point and I always think to myself I don't know how but you know how because there will there would have been dealers um marijuana becomes available and I was looking for some photographs of um houses of some somewhere that I used to hang out a lot um, to answer a question for one of my children. And in the search for an image of uh, these kind of classic council estates comes up a story recent about county lines um, arrests that were made in Basingstoke. And I was like, shit, because it mentioned roads that I know that, you know, used to hang out nearby. Um, and that was 20 odd years ago just a bit more than 20 years ago, and people were buying drugs from that area then. And um, you kind of think, God, we had so, it was so easy 
to get hold of. So there was weed, but it was resin. And you'd go to buy teens, and a teens was a fiver. So that's a sixteenth for those of you that don't know. And I know the world has changed because my children inform me now that people have grinders. And I never knew. I mean, I know about Grindr. The, I mean, I'm not on Grindr, the app, but I knew Grindr as being, you know, gay dating app. Um, and then I really love People Just Do Nothing, the comedy about the MCs, Tower Block in London. So, so good. And the MC is called MC Grinder. But it's only in the past week that it's occurred to me, oh, I see. So there is a thing called a grinder for grinding up your weed. And that's right. OK, I'm so old. Um, so we used to go out to buy a teens. If you were feeling flush, you might get an eight. I don't know how people buy it anymore. I haven't bought any for, well, 20 years, probably, maybe a bit more than that. So, oh, shit, 30 years. Oh, so 30 years ago, 30 years ago, um, I'm so old, 35 years ago, we would have had access to uh, uh, Moroccan resin. So there was that. There was an awful lot of speed um, and whiz, people used to call it. Um, and you used to get it in a little wrap. And any of you that have got teasing babies or have had babies that are teething, I'm not going to recommend that you give them speed, but you could get these teasing powders and they come in a wrap. And I'm just like, fuck. I remember first buying them for my daughter 16 years ago. She was a, you know, when she was teething and I opened it and I opened this box and I was like, ah, it's got wraps of speed in it. So we used to go to the shops and take speed like at night and then right on the uh, right on the paving slabs in chalk, gibberish. So it starts with solvents and then it becomes hash and speed. And I mean, and that is nasty, nasty. Again, don't do it. It's just gross. Um, Rex your teeth, Rex your gums. And let me tell you, in my earliest of romantic experiences, there were two, at least two people who said, my uh, willy is a bit small because I do a lot of speed. <laughs> right. OK. Uh, drugs can cause erectile dysfunction. So, you know, just say no, kids, like the Grange Hill um, actors told you. So you go from hash solvents speed and then and again then acid well acid because of acid house so acid becomes available um and we start doing that i remember the very first time i took acid because i saw we met up with a big group of people this big group of us and there was an agreement and here was something that showed maybe some semblance of um logical thinking amongst the idiocy, which was one person should always be straight. And I guess it's like if you go out for drinks and you're going in a car, you have a designated driver. There's someone that doesn't drink so that everyone can get home safely. So you used to have somebody that wasn't um, taking drugs so they could keep an eye on you. And these guys sold us and we were with them a little square. I think you'd have like a quarter of a tab of acid. But then they were trying to freak us out on purpose to induce a bad trip. And 
it was all a bit, I think it was just a bit of blotting paper that had absolutely nothing on it. But I remember this guy lying in the road and they're making him lie in the road to try and freak people out. Oh, for God's sake. Doesn't it sound idyllic? Mm. Um, so there was that. And then um, magic mushrooms as well. And I do remember, and here is the weird thing. I have had nights out where I have got so drunk. No, I haven't blacked. When they say blackout drunk, I haven't like just fallen down blacked out. I've fallen asleep, like in a hotel foyer. Um, and and uh, the staff have asked my friends to, you know, uh, please move me off of the sofa. Um, but I have been so drunk before that the next day I can't remember. And then you have that panic. And then you have what they call anxiety, where you're hungover and you're going, shit, 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 what happened, what happened? And then people would say, you did this. And I'd get all defensive and go, no, I didn't. And I probably did. And thank God that nobody had uh, cameras on their phones. So um, whilst that has happened with alcohol, when drugs have been involved, there are things that I do remember. So let me tell you, have a sip of coffee. I've just spilt that down my arm. Um, <laughs> see, don't do drugs. Um, I remember we used to hang out, me and some friends, um, with these older guys that were going off to uni. Well, they were university students. They were a couple of years older than us. Really nice, really nice guys. Not horrible old scrotes. Nice guys. Quite, um, quite sensible, really. But I guess if you were to think about them now you might say they weren't really they were sort of stoners but um really into acid so they buy some we'd go to one of the guy's parents houses and take lsd and listen to spacemen 3 um and various kind of trippy stuff and look at a magic eye picture and oh my god i remember being in this uh guys i, I think they had like an annex a granny annex and that was where he lived um and we were in one of the rooms and he had two chinchillas which are beautiful rodents beautiful rodents two beautiful 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 chinchillas in a cage and the chinchillas sort of in there you know chin chilling out chin chilling out sorry it's really bad um and I was like fascinated by them. I was like, oh my God, look at them. And then I said to him, they smell amazing because they smell all like peachy. And oh, I was just like, how do chinchillas smell like this? They smell amazing. And he was like, that's the potpourri. <laughs> and they had a bowl of potpourri next to the cage because chinchillas actually smell because they're rodents. Uh, and the great big bowl of potpourri was what smelled of peach. So there was that. Um, and then there's something I'm not going to tell you. I'm going to save it for stand up because I'm just not saying it. Then there was a thing. Um, and then we went out for a drink all together. Um, and we went to this local pub where they would serve younger people. If you sat far enough away in the corner of the garden, you could, uh, you know, get away with the, the guys that were old enough to to buy a drink would buy us pints and that was fine we were 16 something like that and <laughs> we sat there having a drink and everyone's finished glasses are empty and the um barmaid i think it's barmaid had come up to collect glasses or the glasses collector because sometimes you are a glasses collector in a pub glasses collector had come around and gone 
right, okay, he's dead. And the guy we were stood up and went, you fucking what? And he went, what? He went, what do you mean you're dead? He went, no, no, no. Are your drinks, are they dead? Are they finished? So, yeah. So we were cry- howling, howling with laughter at that. Because, uh, you know, he thought he'd been mortally threatened. But I go, just wanted to know if he'd finished his drink. And so um, we'd uh, gone to leave the beer garden and someone looked at him and said oh god right, we were gonna like hop over this fence um to get out but someone looked at the guy who'd thought he'd been you know dissed in the pub they said to him god I'm, I'm never gonna get over that never gonna get over that and he just looked at this little fence next to us and says oh no you could just like hop, put your leg over it climb over that way and we we're like everybody was just talking shit getting confused misjudging the uh physical and verbal cues of other adult human beings who were not on drugs. So I remember with great clarity things like that and being stood in an alleyway and flicking my arm up and down to see if I could make myself look like a deity with 12 arms because you get that strobing effect. Um, so there was that. There was, I'll just finish on the acid point. Um, I remember the last time I was ever offered one and I said no because in between time what was there there was oh I went to ended up in a traveler's caravan and then one of my friends told me oh we had a spliff and maybe some LSD I don't know and then they said to me oh I've put I've put cocaine (laughs) I put cocaine in that and I freaked out because I had this bizarre rule it was I will do hash I will take LSD but I will not do heroin or cocaine you know you'll have a line I won't do class A's except that LSD is a class A so um yeah there were were, and maybe do you know what I was thinking possibly I only ever took acid like five times and that was that was probably enough um because you know how your brain is apparently still forming up until the age of 24 again don't do drugs because it's just going to fuck you up. Um, so the very last, I remember the very last time, and a friend said to me, do you want to do a trip? And I said, no. And I went home. But it was a very, and I don't know what it was that prompted me to say no, but I think I had realised that if I didn't stop, I was going to have a problem. I was not going to, and I had a very strong ambition to get a job, leave home. And you cannot you just can't. You can't get a job, leave home, you know, become a fully functioning adult human being in the world if you're off your tits all the time. It just doesn't work like that, at least not from where I'm stood. So there was that. Other things that are striking, other memories that are striking. Magic mushrooms meant that I once saw a pint walk across the floor of a nightclub and people used to do poppers. And I was on a call the other day. I love the people I work with because we can talk about these things. And this is why we are all freelancers and we don't work for a big corporate because you cannot talk about poppers in a team meeting. I don't think, I don't think I have since learned. So I learned from one of my freelancing colleagues that if I've got this right, as I remember it, they said to me, um, if you go to gay clubs, you will be offered something like we sell room fragrance. 
room fragrance or room diffusers, something like that, which means poppers. Because you can't say we sell poppers because that's not allowed, but you can say we've got a diffuser. <laughs> um, so local nightclub, absolute shit old nightclub. Um, underneath the car park, it was called Martine's. It was bloody awful. I once almost threw up in a former boyfriend's mouth in there during the slow dances because I was that drunk. Um, but yeah, people used to just do poppers in there. They'd be in the toilets and taking poppers. But it kind of fell out of favour because, and this is a weird thing, isn't it? Where when you get old enough that you can see how times have changed. So people used to take poppers and it used to make you feel quite unwell, actually. Again, I walked out the toilets, felt like my head was as big as the room and then felt really sick. Um, don't do it. Unless, you, Well, I think it's legal. I don't know. Please help me. Somebody email the Tony Daily at gmail.com. Just somebody email it because nobody has so far except for people trying to develop apps. Everything's been discussed on the Facebook and LinkedIn and Instagram. I don't know how much this is going to get talked about on LinkedIn. Um, but poppers was a thing. And then people said, oh, no, that's a gay drug. So don't do that. Whereas now you don't have for the most part, I don't believe, um, that kind of, oh, I can't think of the right word. You know, people just aren't tossers about it anymore. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, I, I would just get this wrong, cock it up, say something incorrect. But basically, people were much more homophobic. That's what I want to say. Back in the early 90s, people just were, uh, and certainly in the 70s and 80s. Um, so yeah, it was like poppers is a gay drug, so we don't want to do it. Um, and besides, I didn't really like it. So there was that. Maybe that's a solvent. I don't know. Again, please tell me. So there was, and I was thinking about it in planning this episode and there were so many drugs in such a short space of time. I was pretty much done with all of it by the time I was 18, because I left home, was renting a room. I couldn't afford to be going out doing drugs. I was like, fuck that. I needed to save money. I need to pay rent, buy food, um, pay train fare. And yeah, it just wasn't going to happen otherwise. So that was me sort of done with drugs. And then it just was about drinking and smoking. Um, and what surprised me was, despite my experiences, so I never did ease, in case you're interested. Um, I was really into rave culture, but I once approached someone outside a club and asked them if they had an ease, and they went, no, they're all inside. I went, okay. So I never did those, never done MDMA, um, which is possibly the same thing. I don't know. Again, please educate me. Uh, never done ketamine, none of those things. Um, but I think I did plenty to rewire my neurological pathways. And, and if you are bothered about listening to any of the episodes I attached to this, um, I do talk about when I spoke to my therapist and she said it is possible that the LSD I took was therapeutic in some way because I was going through 
a huge amount of chaos and trauma. And I didn't have any support in processing that trauma of my dad dying and the house just falling into absolute chaos. And I guess this is to my point. So there are all sorts of reasons that people find themselves taking drugs. And I am very grateful and conscious for the fact that I just said this has got to stop. And I think I wanted to build a new and different life far more than I wanted to stay. And what I have seen is that if you can't break that connection, um, it can just lead to a lifetime of problems. And I know people that have died um, due to complications associated with drug abuse and uh, or drug dependency, perhaps that would be fairer to say. Um, and in some cases, you know that it's connected to somebody having had a really, really, really bad start in life or a really traumatic experience. And then you turn to drugs for escape and soothing and comfort. And then you find you can't get out. So, um, yeah, people within my kind of peer group or year group or within the groups that we hung about with, there are people that have died um, and died very young and died in really sad circumstances. People I used to work with where that happened. And the thing that kind of, again, makes me so grateful is that once I drew a line under it, I drew a line under it. It's like, nope, done. No, thank you. Let's not go there again, please. And so it was interesting to me that given that I had had so much experience on the one hand, there came a point where as an adult, I was in circles where people were taking coke and I didn't even realise. <laughs> I just thought they, they needed to go for a wee a lot and they talked a lot and they could drink shitloads without getting drunk. Um, so, yeah, I think I had realised that if I had money, and again, for me, it was like coke's always an expensive, it's like didn't, would never have had the money for that um, expensive habit. I'd always thought, if I've got money, it is going into having somewhere to live, paying my bills, having nice clothes and building, yeah, building for the future. Um, but again, I will say, you know, definitely spent far too much money on the booze over the years. Had I been sober always? Oh, Christ. Maybe I'd have two kitchen islands. <laughs> So um, I think um, I try to not be, um, yeah, you know, judgmental. When you meet people that have um, issues with um, drug dependency, I know people that have been hospitalized multiple times because of um, problems with drugs and where it all stems from, if you know them well enough, you know, it stems from such a big hole in their early life that they've not been able to um, come to terms with um, problems that they've not been able to resolve 
you know, it comes from sadness and pain a lot of the time. Um, but of course, if you listen to Cypress Hill or if you listen to, um, and I guess there's that difference, isn't there? There's a difference between recreational drug use and becoming addicted. So um, today, clean as a whistle, please and thank you. Um, and actually, I can remember, I'll tell you what, I can remember the very last time. I don't think I can be, I can't sack myself. I may have clients now that go, we are not fucking working with her. Um, I remember the very last time I had a toke on a spliff and that was, what am I now? I'm nearly 48. Um, I think this is 20 years ago. I think I could probably pinpoint it. But anyway, I was at Hyde Park for a gig. Person next to me had a spliff. They said, do you want a toke? I went, yes, please. But it was um, skunk, I think. So I had one toke and I went, no, 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 no more, no more. But what was intriguing to me was that there was a man that came through the crowd. So we weren't right at the front because, you know, we weren't. And there was a man who came through the crowd like a fish that was being reeled in right to the person next to me because they could smell it because it was such a distinct smell. And they're like, oh, my God, man, where did you get that from? Have you got any more? Um, can I have some? And the person next to me was like, um, I don't have any more. And I got it from somewhere that is not here. And uh no, you may not. So, um, yeah, so that was at least at least 20 years ago. And I just can't be asked when you've got kids. And this is the thing that I do find. So whilst I understand where people, um, well, why people might use drugs and where it stems from when you've got a drug problem, the thing that I do not get and I'm fucking well not on board with is people that are getting off their tits when they've got kids in the house. Um, for many, many like moral reasons, but also for how? How, do, how can you be doing that shit when you've got a kid that wants to be up at seven in the morning? It, like my early years as a mother or our early years as parents involved being permanently awake and hallucinating. This is something that got me actually was there were times when I hallucinated through lack of sleep and I thought, oh yeah, I've been here before. Um, yeah, early as a parenting, there is no sleeping. And if you want to feel like you're off your tits, you only need to watch in the night garden when you haven't slept for three days straight. Um, yeah, so... I don't know. I can't I can't get on board with that. Um, anyway, I feel like has it brought us full circle? Uh, I'm going to end with something that is cheesy, but um, it is 11.49 as I'm recording this. I have not had anything to eat yet because I haven't been out for a run. Oh, I'm so virtuous. Um, but it means I've now got the munchies. Mm, doesn't work, does it? All right, it doesn't work. It does not work. I'm simply hungry. Um, let me finish on. I tell you what, one thing, thinking about munchies, there was when me and my husband uh, were first going out with each other. Um, 
which will be 27 years ago this year, when my husband and I were first going out with each other. The place where I was living had a garage nearby, like a petrol station, and we used to call it the drug garage because it was 24 hours, it had the little hatch. But if we were coming back from a night out in town, now at two in the morning, you would see people there just like, please, can I have two packets of hobnobs, please and thank you, because they definitely had the munchies. So in summary, don't do drugs. Just don't really don't do it. Um, but at the same time, uh, let's be honest about the fact that many of us do have past histories. Um, not all of us have the, um, I don't know, luck strength, will, um, whatever particular set of uh, mental, physical, social, whatever um, circumstances that make it easy for us to go, I'm not going to do this anymore. You know, uh, we've probably, um, next time you're in a meeting, <laughs> probably be people in there that have been through a lot more than you might have realised. Um, and that will do, I reckon. I will hop off now so you can enjoy a couple more episodes from the archives of the Tony Daily, back when I was doing it every day, when I could turn up every day and do it. I hope this has been insightful for you. I would love to hear what you think. I'll post this on all my social channels. You can email the Tony Daily, T-O-N-I-D-A-I-L-Y, at gmail.com. And I might be back with you next Sunday. We'll see. Bye-bye. Hello. Welcome to the Tony Daily with me, Tony Kent. It's a podcast that invites you to come find yourself. So you can listen to this and go, oh, thank God for that. It's not just me. And I can talk to you and say, it's all right. It's not just you. It is also me. Now, day 113. This is the second recording of this because my dogs bark their tits off. Uh, when I was recording the last one. And even with noise cancelling headphones, I reckon you would have heard it, would have ruined it. And then I got right to the end and ran out of steam. And because I'm not yet using proper audio editing equipment, these are all one take wonders. So let me tell you about message I got. Yesterday we spoke about Great British Holidays and I got this um, comment on my Instagram feed at Tony underscore J underscore Kent from Bobby Butler. Bobby Butler? Yes. Um, which uh, I said, what are your memories? Best worst of your great British holidays. And I love this. Butlins, Minehead, pre-kids. Drunkenly stumble out of the bar at chucking out time and stumble into the late show. The adult show. The late adult show is Keith Harris. Keith Harris. He didn't have Orville with him, but he did have Cuddles the monkey. And they were telling rude jokes. Single entendres, openly referencing sexual acts with a duck. Thinly disguised racial slurs. It wasn't even slightly shit. It was eye-wateringly terrible. Puzzlingly, some of the bellends in the audience were lapping it up. We managed approximately five minutes before leaving. A bit sadder and, alas, more experienced than we had been. I mean, that's just a beautiful story right there, isn't it? Tells you all you need to know. What it may not tell you, if you are a lot younger than myself, is who Keith Harris is. Now, you can look him up. Um, he is a ventriloquist, stand-up comedian, famous as a family entertainer, also famous 
for wanting to kill the duck that brought him into the mainstream and granted him what was quite possibly a number one single with I wish I could fly right up to the sky but I can't you can um yeah so he felt that the duck was a blessing and a curse and stopped people from seeing the full uh, range of his comedic skill which would appear was a bit too shit for other people's tastes and um reading that thank you very much bobby butler uh reminded me of butlins so let's talk butlins because me and butlins got history my first experience of butlins was when i was about 10 or 11 and we went me mum dad and three brothers went to butlins in air in like ayrshire scotland and we got the train there and i think um, someone had paid for us to go away because working back at the time, my dad would have been quite unwell. And uh, I do remember we sat in seats that were reserved. I think they were reserved for other people because our reserved seats, our tickets had been taken from them. But yeah, it was quite stressful. And it was hours and hours on the train. And we got there. And as you can expect, um, weather wasn't amazing. The beach was very nice. but um, for me, it stands out as being the place where I got my first and only perm because I had done something terrible to my own hair, which meant the perm was not going to make me look like, um, I was going to say Mad Lizzie. I don't think I wanted to look like her. Um, maybe um, a singer from the rock band Heart. I used to quite like a bit of hair metal or, or I would look like anyone from Bon Jovi or Def Leppard. And um what I'd done was um, at the nape of my neck, my hair used to get quite knotty, as often happens with, you know, children or kids where your parents don't help you brush your hair. And uh, I'd cut it myself. I'd cut uh, uh, quite a bit of hair that had become knotty and went to the hairdressers. And one of the things that they do, first of all, is they sort of, you know, lift your hair up to have a look. And the hairdresser said, oh, no, 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 we can't. We can't fix this. We're going to have to shave the back. So they permed the top and shaved the back in a hairstyle that I think is quite fashionable now. It's a bit of a mushroom look. But at the time, the glee with which my friends like greeted my return to school was like, who cut your hair? The cancel. Classic. I mean, it's you know, that's the sort of thing you save up to ask, isn't it? And the perm was a bit like what the Queen has as well. It wasn't a cool one. So, yeah. Uh, fun times. So that was the first time. The second time was on a school youth club trip, which made the national news. It made well, the tabloid newspaper. Um, I'm not quite sure. I might have been 13 and we've gone to Butlins. And to cut a long story short, children were caught in possession of um, weed and alcohol. Um, Although we were probably all smoking, um, what do you call it? Blow. So it would have been a little block, you know. I can't think what it resin. Yes. Um, <laughs> but I wasn't one of those children. Not at that point. And yeah, we got thrown out. And the Sun newspaper put as a headline. And I don't like the Sun, but this headline, you know, it's a good one. Uh, was Heidi High, H-I-G-I. 
And yeah, it was quite interesting reading some of the comments that one parent who was interviewed said, uh, well, I'm glad we hadn't got away for the weekend because we wouldn't have been here when they got back. There wasn't any, I'm going to kill them when they get home. It was just, oh, how lucky that we were in. Uh, so that was the second encounter with Butlins, made the newspapers. And after that, I did go on a few adult weekends, which included one where I was so sick because I drank vodka, vodka Red Bull and took Pro Plus. Don't do that, kids. It will make you violently ill. Um, and one of them, the um, adult entertainment was, I think it was Roy Chubby Brown, and we walked out. It was so bad. Um, you sort of knew, and you think, yeah, going to go and watch it. It'd be really funny. But it was just massively racist and sexist and horrible. Uh, so we didn't stick around for that. Um, lots of things I won't share with you. I did a one-person stage invasion just before Lamal came on at Friends Hendu, where I got so drunk I had to be taken back to the chalet because I had peaked way too early. Um, and the thing that strikes me is that some of my friends, former Butlins compadres, still go, still put the fancy dress on, still go for the weekend. I have not got the energy. I can't be dressing up as a cop <laughs> or a showgirl or an 80s songstress or anything. I mean, I just about managed to put my normal clothes on. So I applaud the effort that goes into that. I'm just like, couple of glasses of wine in bed by half past 10 please and thank you um so those were my butlins memories and um i would love to hear yours tell me have you been to a butlins or a pontins and you've got a memory that you would like to share because i would love to hear it or a school trip where you got thrown out that'd be a good one i mean school trips were different back in there late 80s trying to think how old I would have been yeah late 80s I did go on a ski trip once where the teachers all got pissed and I was allowed to just speak to this man who was French Italian border or something I don't know my geography um but I have heard through someone that I know who has worked in ski resorts who said that it's very common that you would have like these entertainers within bars but I still don't think that if you had a school trip now that you would allow an adult man entertainer to engage a 12 year old in conversation and write them a postcard when they got home it's not normal is it you would say kids don't give out your home address to random men good god um so, yeah, tell me how about how things were different back in the day. I would love to hear it. So what do I hope for you? Because we are like nearly 10 minutes on Butlins. Yeah. Um, I hope that if you've been working from home and everyone's been off, that you've found a moment's peace to yourself. I find it hard because I'm self-employed when everyone's off and, I, and I'm like, oh, I can do this bit of work later. And then I get frustrated and then I get cross. And then I have to have a conversation with myself. Um, I took my daughter actually to the opticians today uh, for an eye test. And you could tell the optician was having one of those days because she sat across from my daughter and went, 
Okay, right. So are you wearing glasses at the moment? And my daughter was wearing a pair of glasses. I mean, seriously, it was and all credit to my daughter. She said, yeah. And the optician went, oh, yes, of course. Sorry, I've got two hours left. Can you believe it? For that woman having a bad day today. So I, I hope that you've had a good day if you've been working um, and that whatever you're doing over the holidays and wherever the holidays may take you for the rest of the year, that you don't find yourself in front of some god awful comic from the 80s who um, just massively offends you. Wither, Wither, tell me about your holidays. Tell me about stuff that's happened to you at um, rubbish British holiday destinations and tell me about your school trip shenanigans. I'll be back with you tomorrow. I hope you enjoyed this. If you know someone that you think would enjoy this episode, give it a share. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Hello and welcome to the Tony Daily with me, Tony Kent. It's a podcast that invites you to come find yourself so you can listen to this and say, oh, thank God for that. It's not just me. And I can speak to you and say, it's not just you. It is also me. Right. I promised you um, something about the Hacienda, or at least I think I did. So I'd watched this. Yeah, I did. Um, I'd watched this documentary on the Hacienda the other night and like wallowed in it, basically, because anything that shows me um, images of people dancing to Acid House and then dancing to Happy Mondays um, and features clips of Sean Ryder back in the day and Sean Ryder today reflecting on what it was like to get a Hacienda. Um, yeah, all of that. Mike Pickering, uh, fascinating hearing him talking about um, his DJing and then the um, how New Order, so they interviewed uh, some a couple of the members of New Order about how they essentially bankrolled it, factory records. I mean, they're just for me, like it's, you know, like dance culture, rave culture, house music, all of that. Um, then some things I didn't know about um, the uh, Flesh gay night that they used to have there and what used to go on there. They have one of the DJs talking about that. And she had some very, she has some very spicy things to share. Um, and there was a clip actually of Michaela Strachan um, and Pete Waterman doing the Hitman and Her. And I remember watching that. Um, sometimes I think I'd got home from the pub, but I was too young to have been at the pub. Um, and so Pete Waterman was there like interviewing Mike Pickering, who was off his tits. Um, but he was going, oh yeah, look at your decks and look at the music. And this is really cool. And then Michaela Strachan was sat with people downstairs who were sort of trying to explain what it was about the Hacienda that was so important. Um, and they were basically going, wibble, ibble, ibble. Um, but one of the guys said, well, we come here because it's like the only club in Manchester, really. And she went, oh, what a shame. <laughs> you know, when you look back and go, no, 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 no. <laughs> that would have been a way better club in its heyday than, well, going to like Martins in Basingstoke. Good God. Um, yeah, so uh, really enjoyed watching that. And um, it 
sparked a, a, a memory in me um, and there's something I don't think I've spoken about before and just as a warning maybe to this um, includes references to post-childbirth and if you are of a squeamish disposition switch it off now um, this happened in the context of so I'd had my son so this happened, he's 14, yeah, 14 years ago. Um, and I just had him, so I had him at a birthing, birthing centre, birthing centre, which um, is NHS provided, really, really fortunate where we live, um, is in a village that is equidistant between three hospitals and each hospital is like 25 miles away. So and none of them are easy to get to. And luckily, about eight miles away, 10 miles away, is um, a birthing centre that uh, you can go to if you have got a straightforward pregnancy and at low risk of anything going wrong because you can't have any interventions there. And I'd had my daughter there and I thought, well, I'll have my son there too because that would be nice. So he was born... And then he coughed up some meconium when he was born. Uh, oh, that was it. No, they'd broken my waters and some meconium came out. Um, for those of you that don't know what that is, it's basically poo. So he had pooed um, in my womb. And then there's the potential that baby can have inhaled some of that. And that's really dangerous. So it meant that I had to be sent on to hospital and he had to go to hospital to get some antibiotics um and what did they call it because he could have had they call it a version of pneumonia um yeah so had him at the birthing center and did not manage to get the placenta out and this had been a problem when my daughter was born it only just only just come out the woman had to tease it out like pulling the umbilical cord but not pulling it so hard that the percent I mean it was just like you realize afterwards how very dangerous childbirth is so um had son said we'd have to go to hospital and then the placenta would not come out and it would not budge so we go to John Radcliffe in Oxford and They've sent our son off to the like intensive care unit, Nico, Nico, neonatal intensive care unit. He was eight pounds four. He was like a giant baby compared to some of the tiny, tiny newborns that were there. Um, and so I think the there's a an obstetrician. So there's like nurses, midwife. Um, a gynecologist probably um and they basically said i'd lost a lot of blood i'd lost like a pint of blood more i think more than a pint a liter i mean i lost a lot of blood and it starts to get very risky at this point if you haven't delivered the placenta and so they said we're gonna have to get you into theater i went yeah that's fine and then there was a problem in that there were no anesthetists and there was this basically hanging in the balance moment of we need to get the placenta out because if it ruptures you could bleed to death at the same time we don't have an anaesthetist available we can't get you into theatre 
So what we can try, God, what we can try for you is we can try a manual retrieval. And a manual retrieval is as awful as it sounds. It's basically a gynecologist, I think, because I don't think this is a midwife thing, puts their hand inside your womb and takes the placenta out. And there was no pain relief available because there was no anaesthetist available. So I had to have, I had gas and air. They went, you can have gas and air. And I remember being in this room. And so there's the gynecologist um, who's, you know, going to go retrieve it. And then there was a nurse holding my hand and there was the gas and air sort of doing its thing. And my husband, so this is how I remember, it was in the corner of the room. And then at some point, I was in the hacienda. I was in, and I can still remember it now, I was in this, you know, it was dark, there was all the hazard, um, sort of, if you, go, if you go and look for pictures of the hacienda, you've got the black and yellow hazard um, signs, like on all of the the, the steel pillars and everything. I was in there and I was hearing this techno music, like completely like immersed in it, felt myself in there, felt myself being moved by the music. Um, it was scary. So it wasn't like I was there and I was like, yeah, woo. it was really, really scary. So dark techno vibes and just this, these hazard logos everywhere. Um, and I was screaming, like, really, really high, really, really high-pitched. Um, and then it was kind of done. Like, thank God he managed to get it out. Um, yeah, you know, never, ever, ever, well, I won't ever experience that again. Um, and afterwards, I said to my husband, did you hear me screaming? And he said no, you weren't making any noise. And I thought, fuck, I was screaming internally. I mean, that's the dog making a sigh. That's, I think my body internally was screaming. And I, so two things stood out for me. The next day, the nurse that had been there came to see me and said, I just want to check in and see how you are. And I said, oh, I want to say thank you for being there and holding my hand. And because she said, oh, it's a really barbaric thing to do. But when you're faced between, you you know, you've got a patient that could um, potentially bleed to death, um, that needs to happen, you know. Uh, and I said, oh, I'm really grateful that you were there for me and thank you for holding my hand. And can I have a cup of water? And she gave me a cup of water. I feel quite emotional talking about it. And um, she said, oh, I'm so glad. Thank you for letting me give you a cuddle. I was like, bloody hell. You know, I think we both needed it because I think for her to witness, it was not nice. Um, I don't remember speaking to him. I think, I'm sure he did come by, just say, you know, <laughs> well done, Mrs. Kent, for getting through that. Um, but yeah, the nurse was amazing. So the other thing that um, happened was go back to earlier this year when I was speaking to my therapist and I told her about this 
And it was sort of in the context of, because I said to her, it felt like a bad LSD trip in a way. And I have taken LSD as a teenager, so I know what that's like. And she said to me that, um, well, two things. One is that if you, you know, there there is research that's looking at the use of hallucinogenics in helping people with things like post-traumatic stress disorder, and I had taken LSD at the point where I was going through some really traumatic events in my um, sort of mid to late teenage years. And um, so there was that. But also she said, maybe because you'd had those experiences, it had opened up a door in your brain. It gave me somewhere to go because it allowed my brain to escape from the horrendous thing that was happening and take myself somewhere where I could feel at least sort of safe and I thought yeah that kind of makes sense that you could be because you know the brain is a wonderful thing and a complex thing we may never understand exactly how it works and I thought yeah makes sense to me so had I not spent a lot of time you know, and I went to rave nights and I went clubbing that. I never, but I never went to the hacienda. But I watched lots of things where I saw the hacienda, um, and yeah, that kind of whole experience of uh, potentially the use of LSD when I was young and going through some extremely traumatic events and. I talked about this a lot, you know, my dad had died and my mum then became almost immediately pregnant and then we had social services involved in our life and then my mum had another baby and actually as children going through that experience where instead of receiving the kind of care and support that bereaved children need our lives became more chaotic um and that's you know not to lay blame it is just that's how it was and yeah so in kind of taking myself off to another dimension to comfort myself during that time and to escape the reality of what was going on it actually meant that when I went through something that was physically and emotionally incredibly traumatic you know you've just had your baby and then you've got to sign a form saying uh yeah I allow uh, this healthcare professional to manually retrieve a placenta from inside me and I understand that there are risks associated with this um it's a big deal isn't it so it gave me that safe space to take my brain off into which was the Hacienda. What do I hope for you? I hope you never, ever have to go through what I did. Um, or that if you are not a woman, that your partner never, ever has to go through that. Um, or anyone that you love has to go through that. And if they do have to go through that or have been through that, um, just know that they're not alone. Um, or if you have been through that, you're not alone. Um, so that's what I hope for you. I hope you don't have to go through anything really bloody traumatic. Um, but if you do, or if you have, then yeah, you're not on your own.
in the spirit of this podcast, I invite you to come find yourself. So hopefully you will have found something here for you. Thank you for being here for the podcast. If you enjoy it, please share it. And I will be back with you tomorrow. Hello and welcome to the Tony Daily with me, Tony Kent. It's a podcast that invites you to come find yourself so you can listen to this and say, thank God for that, it's not just me. And I can speak to you and say, no, it's not just you. It is also me. So this is my second go at recording this because I started talking about something that I realised I'm not ready to speak about. Mmm, that'll get you thinking, won't it? But let's talk about what I do feel comfortable talking about. And that is that tonight I am doing a talk and presenting awards at an award ceremony for adult learners in West Berkshire. West Berkshire, don't you know? And I'm just going to cry for the whole evening, I think, because, oh my God, the categories and the nominees, um, yeah, amazing what some people are able to overcome and how people are able to transform their lives through returning to education. And I've been asked to speak because it was a second chance at education that really opened the world back up to me after my dad died. And um, I'm really looking forward to that. And it means a lot to be able to get involved. So I'm glad I can do that. And in the spirit of sharing stories and how I share mine, I was listening to the David Boyle I'm Quitting Alcohol podcast, which, as I've always said to you, do look it up. But if you don't like swearing, don't go anywhere near it. Um, But he'd been asked by a listener of his, what are you going to do about your kids? finding out about what you used to get up to and his children are young like two and four or two and six or something but I messaged him on Instagram and said this is my experience Uh, you can it's gonna be all right (laughs) and I had a really lovely reply from him saying it had given him some comfort and um, I thought I'd drop him a line because my kids know a huge amount about what my life was like as a young person and the times that I spent going off the rails because a lot of my working life is occupied by me sharing elements of my story as a means to um, inspire others. And the way they found out was when my daughter started secondary school, and actually I've, you know, I've always had a copy of um, that Reasons to be Cheerful, which is uh, my book, uh, one of my books, around the house and you know I've sort of said to the kids if there's a book you can read it but um, when they get to secondary school they do this thing called let's google our parents and so there were things that I think perhaps my kids got to hear about me from me before I'd sort of maybe probably sat down and told them but what I have found is this is that because well there's a couple of things because my childhood years, certainly my teenage years, were extremely chaotic. I have made it my life's work not to replicate that. And the best you can do, and this is something that um, David Boy was saying, you know, that you just want to raise your kids so that they don't, that they either aren't exposed to some of the issues that you were, or they don't have cause to go off the rails insofar as you can control that and we've often talked about 
the reasons that I did fly off the rails <laughs> to the point that they are so bored. Um, but what I found is that we, from a young age, were able to have conversations with our kids about drugs, alcohol, addiction, um, sexual health, <laughs> criminal justice system. Um, I mean, yeah, uh, eating disorders. I have a, a wide and varied frame of reference when it comes to um, all of the challenges that young people and any people can face. And I do truly believe that as a result, they are more understanding of the fact that people will fall into addiction for a number of reasons and that people who are experiencing addiction are still human and that sometimes we make choices that are not in our best interest and other times we are structurally held back um, and I hope I do think they understand that they are fortunate but I, I don't th I don't think they um, yeah get afraid of talking about the big subjects and I know that when it comes to um, difficult situations it's not something that they shy away from and um, be that um, a, a friend who's you know lost a parent or a friend that's experiencing um, an eating disorder um, yeah it's I do think that there is a benefit to them knowing my background and me not shielding them from that in such a way that they're completely wrapped in cotton wool because that's where the problems start isn't it <laughs> if they don't know what the real world is like they're gonna have a problem when they get out into it so um what do I hope for you I hope that if there's I don't know something that maybe you want to talk to your kids about but you're not sure I hope that you find the confidence and courage to do it that's what I hope for you um, and in the meantime I'm going to wrap this up because I've got to go and get ready so that I look like I belong at an awards ceremony and I will be back with you tomorrow bye bye